AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hello, welcome to AT&T ThreatTrack for October 26, 2016. This program provides network security highlights, discussion, and countermeasures for cyber threats. We're joined today by Jim Clausing, who amazingly is here on the couch with us. Great to have you here, Jim. How are it's, you doing? It's good to be here. It's Fantastic. always good to sit on the couch. Yes. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good couch. <laughs> We've also got Stan Nurolov, frequent contributor. How are you doing, Stan? Uh, doing pretty well. Uh, staying awake, uh, doing the flare-on challenge. That's been, uh, is that going along well? Uh, yeah, I'm almost done, but not quite. I can see the end of the tunnel. Cool. Well, good luck with that. I hope you, I hope you do well. And Manny Ortiz. How are you doing, Manny? I'm doing good. So I heard some of you guys went to the AT&T Security Conference. How did that go? It was good. It was very good. Yeah. Very good. It was a good conference, good, uh, good attendance at the mm -hmm. conference. I think it's, uh, I'm not mistaken, probably one of the highest uh, number of people attending the conference this year. So That's great. And uh, hopefully a few more viewers as a result of that. So if anybody's watching, uh, glad you could join us. Did you guys have any favorite talks while you were there? Well, Brian, I thought, did a, a really good talk. Uh, it was good to see him yesterday. Mm -hmm. One of the advantages of being out here, get to see Brian, got to see John, although he's not on the show today. Mm -hmm. uh, but Brian's talk, uh, I really enjoyed. That was Brian and, and Jason, Jason Porter, I think? Yes. Yeah, cool. yes. yeah I'll have to Brian catch this recording Porter. of that. Yeah, so all the recordings should be up eventually, I believe, on the Tech Channel site someplace. Great. I'm Matt Kaiser, and uh, let's get into our first story here in Stan. Uh, we have no shortage of stories about the Internet of Things, and it sounds you've got a pretty interesting one here for us. What can uh, you tell us? Yes. So uh, Krebs had an interesting article, as he usually does, mm -hmm. about uh, a new type of malware that's being observed on IoT devices. Now, we know in the past few weeks and maybe even months that a lot of these IoT devices have been used for DDoS attacks and some notable DDoS attacks recently were even attributed to botnets that are made up of IoT devices. In this situation, Brian Krebs was uh, collaborating, I guess, or, or uh, with a researcher, security researcher, who has some honeypots out there that pretend to be these IoT devices. And um, he was able to observe a new type of malware being deployed against these devices. So this would be um, like a proxy type malware. Okay. Uh, so the specific type of proxy that it allows is a SOX proxy, and it looks like these devices, once compromised, are being sold underground in underground forums for sale for people to basically connect to them and do some, you know, whatever it is that they do through an anonymous proxy service. So now you have, you know, whatever, thousands of these devices that are basically acting as proxies for this hidden network allowing bad guys to do, uh, you know, browse the internet semi-anonymously for them. Uh, one interesting thing that this researcher did is he installed some sort of like a man-in-the-middle type uh, software. So he was able to see exactly the kinds of websites uh, that were being frequented by these people who buy these proxy services. Mm -hmm. And he saw the standard criminal type endeavors, uh, credit card, checking of uh, websites and, and other you know, kind of fraud activity. So 
a very interesting spin on using IoTs for that. This is not a new type of malware by any means. I think we've seen that before in uh, you know, Windows and even, uh, you know, I think Android devices as well. There was a strand of malware maybe um, two years ago called uh, Not Compatible, Droid Not Compatible. Um, and uh, longer ago. Yeah, Three yeah. Or four it, now. it feels like it was, sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday. Uh, right. But it's interesting to see how the evolution is mm -hmm. being made. Uh, you know, so Windows, then mobile, and now IoT. Um, so, you know, the bad guys are keeping up as usual. But everything old is new again. You but, know, the, yeah. the stuff that we saw hitting the PCs years ago now come back around to the you, IoT You device. think it's just a matter of now there's another open, I don't want to say open market, but open source of, of uh, exploitable boxes, mm -hmm. then the, the people who are doing that same technique over in one area say, well, Absolutely. hey, now I can do it over here. It, it worked before. Try it if it, you know, they haven't secured these devices yet, so you know, we'll use all our old tricks on these. Yeah, and I haven't looked into, you know, this specific malware to see how it works, but I know when I looked at Droid Not Compatible, it was actually a strand of malware that evolved from a Windows version exactly. uh, called LuckySec or something mm -hmm. like that. Something like that. Uh, so it was an evolution. And here, you know, I don't know if it's the same or similar, but obviously, like we said, you know, the market is there for these anonymous proxy services. So did they say how this, this business model works? The guys, for, like, I imagine they compromise the box and they set up a set of credentials specific to that box and then they sell off that set of credentials on the underground. I'm Imagine sure. there's some sort of way of making people pay for these compromised Right, yeah, boxes. I'm not sure exactly how it works. I'm sure there is some sort of a way to authenticate the bad guys into the proxy and mm -hmm. maintain some sort of a database of who the customers are. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that exists there. Uh, you know, even just thinking about like the Mirai source code release that you guys looked at, you know, even looking at the components of that source code, you could see there was like a database component mm -hmm. and an API component that allowed other, uh, you know, bad guys to use the assets. So I'm thinking it's something similar here, but okay. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, it just reminds me of the um, Terracotta VPN. Do you yes. guys remember that paper? Mm -hmm. yes. Where they actually set up their own like Active Directory server somewhere on the internet so that they could use that for authenticating all of the endpoints that they'd compromised, which was kind of interesting. All right. Well, that's really interesting, Stan. Thank you for that. Um, and actually, we're going to see right into one that Jim brought to us, which is actually pretty similar. It is, it is very similar. This one is um, S Showdown Proxy. Uh, it's SSH. It's a, it's actually an old vulnerability. It actually was a CVE 2004-1653. Basically, it's taking advantage of a feature of SSH. If you use the dash L or the dash D, you can set up port forwarding, mm -hmm. um, and essentially what it does is it sets up a SOX proxy, and as, as long as you know the local port, you can you know, redirect through an SSH tunnel to wherever you want. Well, this uh, showdown uh, is taking that old vulnerability and using it against IoT devices. More. So, I mean, is it is it a brand new vulnerability, or is it just nope. again new nope. population for an old vulnerability? It's new population for an old vulnerability, and uh, 
according to some Shodan estimates, maybe two million or more mm. IoT devices are vulnerable to this. Uh, but it's, um, it, it, you know, it's based on default credentials again on these IoT devices, the ones that, you know, instead of just using Telnet, the ones that use SSH still often have default credentials. So, you know, um, if you've got the default user ID and password, you can set up this port forwarding, this SSH, or the, the SOX uh, proxy through the SSH tunnel so that you can hide your traffic as if it's coming from this IoT device. So, you know, then they can go out and sell this to people who want to hide where they're coming from. But, you know, and there are you know, all kinds of candidates, you know, folks who might want to buy something like that sure. to hide their, you know, some less nefarious than others, but, mm -hmm. uh, and, but it's, it, you know, it's again, this could all be stopped if these IoT devices weren't exposing SSH and Telnet or at least not exposing them on the internet-facing interface if they've got multiple interfaces. If you didn't have default passwords or even default user IDs, if you could change those. You know, it's, these aren't that hard, to, these <laughs> problems aren't that hard to solve, but it's all the same problems that we've, you know, we've been talking about on the internet of insecure things for, you know, the two or three years that we've been talking about it on the show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but it, it, it was interesting, you know, this one is SSH, and it, this story came out in the security affairs uh, blog maybe two weeks ago. So um, I was wondering if anybody, having read that, was starting to scan for this more mm -hmm. or not. So you know, we took a look at the uh, at the traffic that that we're able to see, and there really wasn't any unusual uptick in the traffic. We have the normal ups and downs in the traffic, and I actually uh, the, this chart is 30 days, but I had looked at 180 days, and you know, it was the same. There there was some periodicity to it, but it was the same kind of even level of traffic. Having said that, on my home system, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I monitor everything on my, on my home network. So on this past Saturday, the traffic on my home system, SSH was 70% mm. of the scan traffic that I saw, which was huge. I mean, that's what we've been seeing in Telnet uh, for forever. But Telnet was, was a distant second on my home system, and I don't know why somebody was scanning my particular, you know, network or whatever. Uh, it didn't show up in what we were seeing on the internet in general. But I just, I thought that was interesting. After months of 23, and then for the last month or two, 2323 yep. was number two, we'll and SSH was number three. That just that one day, SSH jumped up to the top by, you know. 
two orders of magnitude. Oh. Now, were you taking a look at the payload or whatever they were attempting to do no, afterwards? No, because okay. it, it was all blocked. Okay. It, it was just the, um, they, di they didn't get in on that. So that was just kind of unusual. But I, you know, I was prompted to look at this because I was wondering if anybody was looking at that. And, and maybe that does you know, uh, play into, over the last few weeks, you know, SSH had dropped further down in our, and when we get to the top 10 charts, it had dropped a little further down. Now it's back up to number two behind Telnet. So mm -hmm. maybe some of this plays into it. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. I'm just looking. I mean, that's that the thing there. about internet scanning too. Is like you know, you'll see we can we can do our averages and our volumes and say this is number one, this is number two. But then there's still going to be that variation over small periods of time where someone's really banging hard on one port, even if it's not the top one. It, it still may come by and and light up everything like a Christmas tree. So. Right. And you know and. It's also a question of perspective. We don't see the traffic for the entire internet. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they're hitting spaces that we can't see. Like I said, I, I thought it was unusual that my home network, uh, I got hit that hard, but we didn't see anything at all in, in our charts. So it's just, to, you know, since we can't see the whole internet, the different perspectives at different times. So one final question for you is... 42. Oh, good. <laughs> the man already knows the answer. Um, second question. <laughs> um, with a name like Showdown, do you think it, it really merits a name for this bug? If it is that old of a bug in tech, you know, it's, it seems no. like... Okay. That's <laughs> my opinion as well. Not, but, yeah, we'll, we'll go on a little bit more about named bugs yeah, in a bit. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Oh, that's bit. a good one. Um, so the next one is, is Manny. And Manny, this is a, an interesting one. Um, I'd actually heard a little bit about this sort of bug this week as well, but I'd like you to introduce it. Yeah, so this, uh, this story uh, titled uh, Data Leaked by Pagers, uh, Useful for Critical Infrastructure Attacks, um, talks about a, a study, research study that uh, Trend Micro had done, specifically looking at what they could see in terms of pager communication, um, and they sort of they took their study and focused on a couple of different areas. So they focused in the in the hospital realm. There's a there's a word Medi for that in the medical medical. medical. There you go. That's the one. <laughs> um, and then they also um, they also looked at the uh, critical infrastructure. Over a four month period, they were able to collect 55 million pages that were sent um, within the U.S. and Canada, and uh, a third of the 55 million um, actually contained alphanumeric data within them, right? So other than just a phone number, which is traditionally what the pager was used for, okay. or at least back in the, in the beginning days of, of pagers, right? <laughs> back at the beginning of time. Exactly, yeah. There's a couple of us here, I think, on the who couch remember that, who those, remember yeah. them and remember them hooked to our belts. and. And I do remember the days when, when we finally switched over to the alphanumeric ones, which was, that was, that was like almost like iPhone, the first iPhone days, right? It was like, oh my God, my pager can actually tell me something other than a number. But anyway, the interesting thing about this, obviously, like I said before, was first, I didn't even realize that pagers were still being used this way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I thought pager technology basically had died off. 
So, so it was surprising already that it was, you know, it was still being used. They were still being used and being used in this way. Um, you'd think that at this point, you know, the, the security of it would have caught up, but obviously not. So um, specifically, um, the, what they were looking for was in this, in this critical infrastructure, this, this is really where, where they concentrated, um, these uh, ICSs um, actually rely on the pagers um, to, trans to transmit like critical information about systems, right? So it's transmitting things like there's a failure or, you know, um, um, you know, somebody needs to, uh, you know, alerts for different, different uh, parts of the actual system. Mm -hmm. So they're using these pagers to actually transmit this data, which we all know is critical information. You know, it's, it's, uh, is it both control and data? Is it both? I mean, is it, is it commands from a com controller to say, flip a switch on this ICS device, or is it more like status messages coming back? No, from what I understand, it was more like status, it was status messages, so mm -hmm. telling you things about things that were going wrong. So alerts. there weren't, right, so there were, there were basic alerts, but within the alerts, you know, because we're talking about alphanumeric, within the alerts, there was quite a bit of information that was being, you know, leaked, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so it goes further into talking about um, that these messages are, for the most part, sent unencrypted, right? Which means that when they're sent unencrypted, you can buy basically a $20 device, use your software-defined radio, yep. and with that, you're basically capturing this, this traffic, and they say it can be done up to tens of kilometers away from the actual source, I'm, which... I'm gonna go out on a limb and say they're probably using a different antenna than the one that the, comes with that the $20, $20 device. device. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that distance, yeah. You're right, they probably are, but obviously, like anything else, if you supersize it, you end up getting, I'm sure, what they were seeing here, which is, you know, I could be here and be listening to things that are happening way, way far away from me. Sure. Um, so, so they looked at so they looked at all this stuff. So now they're able to pull all this data in. And so, um, they had again. So they list off a whole bunch of stuff that they were seeing. So they were they were seeing uh, alarm and event notifications, diagnostic information, uh, uh, status updates, as well as names, email addresses, phone numbers, uh, project codes and IP addresses. Hmm. So obviously when you send an alert message, a lot of times they would send the IP like, hey, you know, system A at IP address whatever is having a problem. That stuff goes over, you know, basically over the, over the air and it's picked up. So, um, you know, they started to get into a little bit about, and there's a, there's a full paper, if anybody's interested in, in reading on this, there's a full paper they did um, with a lot of the extra detail. It goes into, into quite a bit of detail into what they actually did, what they actually captured. Mm -hmm. um, but they, um, what they looked at was they looked at messages. Now, this is, this is where it gets a little scary. Looked at messages that were coming from nuclear plants, power substations, uh, chemical companies and defense contractors yeah. that were all using pagers with unencrypted communication. 
Um, so it goes into talking about what you could do with it. Like, what do you do as an attacker when, if you're able to pull this in, which is obviously very easy to do, mm -hmm. what can you do with it? Like, so you, so you get this pager that gives you a certain amount of text within it. Well, they're talking about, like, if in order to easy, you're getting information that would easily allow you to do, like, social engineering. So if you know that the, this nuclear plant just got a message about some failure, it's easy for you at that point to send an email in, right? Mm -hmm. A spam email with some attachment that has information that you now picked up as part of the pager. You can use a real machine name, yep. a real IP address of that machine. The time which, that the fault happened. The time the fault happened, exactly. That's, so all those pieces of information we all know, any, any bit of information that, that gets you closer and closer to the, to the truth yep. in that email, makes it a lot more believable for somebody to click. Yeah, absolutely. You could use it also for, you know, like physical, you know, being able to show up at the same show time. Show up at the, uh, we had this fault. I'm here to help fix exactly. it. Exactly. I'm just going to plug this yeah, into your network. Just let, yeah. me, just let me in. Oh, yeah. You know, I, how could this guy possibly know that we had a failure in this exact system? Unless he sure. was really the and guy I'm wearing who's supposed the, to fix it. You know, it. I'm wearing the right uh, colored uh, overalls to, you know, to get in. <laughs> Sounds like a movie. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's really interesting so, stuff, yeah. Manny. It, it's, um, it's kind of weird and coincidental, but there was a, a SANS webinar that came out this past week, uh, Intro to SDR Projects, mm -hmm. and it, it talked about these very cheap $20 devices you can hook up to your laptop and a couple of the different applications, and pager networks were actually on the list of things that were mentioned. Mm -hmm. Now, he, uh, the instructor, Larry Pesci, made it very clear there are certain things that you can do that are legal, and there are certain things within your jurisdictions that are absolutely not legal, right. and pagers are one of those things you should probably not be mucking about with. Mm. Uh, but for those who are interested in SDR, there's a couple projects that are really kind of cool, like tracking uh, ADSB signals off of airplanes. It's probably the easiest one to set up. You fire, fire up some software, plug in your dongle, and it shows you the locations reported by all the commercial aircraft in the area, mm. and their heading, and a little map, so you can see flight planes, and it's kind of neat and gratifying to be looking at your software and watching a little digital plane tick, tick, tick overhead your location and right. then watch the same plane going overhead. Mm. It's kind of it's kind of cool. So, Cool yeah. and scary. Cool and same. scary. Well, that, that's the thing. This <laughs> The space of uh, SDR is, is definitely growing. And there's going to be a lot of old legacy systems like the stuff we're talking about that no one ever thought you'd ever get a receiver or a transmitter for because they were so specialized or because you know they were so expensive. Right. And now that SDR is getting cheaper and cheaper, I think there's going to be a lot more of these sorts of flaws are going to get exposed on old systems. Yeah. So, and it was, you know, it was always the case, you know, back when I used to have my scanner, mm -hmm. that, you know, the stuff, the, the radio waves that are passing through my house unencrypted, yes, they, the cellular industry made it illegal to, to listen to those frequencies, but as long as it was passing through my house unencrypted, mm -hmm. you know, it was always possible to do it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's still the case. If pagers are still being used out there and they're still being used unencrypted, mm -hmm. yeah. today we now have the capability to encrypt, you know, any sensitive communications. We really should be looking into 
taking advantage of that kind of technology. Yeah, I agree. Especially if you're sitting in one of these. Absolutely. These sectors. All right. Thanks, Benny. Yep. Jim, back over to you. And we were going to talk about bugs with names, and we've got one. Dirty cow. Dirty cow. <laughs> uh, this one was big news last week. The latest of these you know, named bugs that have their own website and their own Twitter handle and their own GitHub page. And their own swag. And their own swag, yeah. Well, but I'm not going to spend 1500 bucks for a t-shirt or 1000 bucks for a coffee mug. So, mm -hmm. Dirty Cow, CVE 2016-5195, is a bug in the Linux kernel that has actually been there since 2007. It was introduced in uh, kernel 2.6.22. So every version from 2.6.22 up to, I don't know, what is current, 4.6 or something, has this bug in it. It's a bug in the copy on write feature. Basically, it's in the handling of shared memory. And it actually was fixed once. I was reading up on the history of this. It was fixed in 2007, early 2008, and then the fix was removed because the original fix broke Linux on the S390. The S390? The IBM mainframes, oh. Linux on IBM mainframes. Right. The fix broke it. Sometime in the last nine years, they fixed the issue on the, on the, on the mainframes. Okay but the fix never made it back into the kernel until the 18th of October of this year. Um, and, but basically what you can do with this is uh, it, it, ba taking advantage of this flaw in the copy on write uh, mechanisms in the kernel. You can actually write to memory mapped pages that are supposed to be read-only, and, and then based on that you can actually write to on-disk binaries and bypass all the permissions. So you can you know, give yourself root privileges, mm -hmm. um, and once you've got the root privileges, you can do whatever you want to the system to consolidate that so that you can get back in even if, the, if they fix the vulnerability. But it's a privilege escalation. Mm -hmm. In order to take advantage of it, you have to be authenticated on the system somehow first. So, you know, privilege escalation vulnerabilities, to me, they're like a second tier. They're not the, it's the remote code exploit mm -hmm. that doesn't take authentication. Those are the ones that are, are my big worry. I normally don't worry that much about privilege escalation. I mean. I only you, worry about it when I see it on my network. Right? Yeah, <laughs> then but, it's actually you know, so so that was that was one of the things is, you know, who cares? It's a privilege escalation. Um, why does that merit a name, and a wow. and a professional logo, and its own web page, and its own Twitter handle, and its own swag? On the other hand, it's in every Linux kernel since 2.6.22 until the 18th of October of 2016. Mm -hmm. That includes every Android device that's ever been made. Yep. 
<laughs> yeah, that includes a lot of embedded IoT devices. Yeah. Uh, so if you can get this exploit into an app that you can get onto people's phones, you can then root the phones and have control, you know, complete control of their phones or their tablets or, you know, their in-car entertainment systems or, you know, whatever is, is based on Android. So, uh, you know, on, on that note, it is kind of important, but I don't know that it merits a name. I get, I get real tired of these exploits getting names that don't really deserve them. And in fact, even the guys who created the page, dirtycow.ninja, is the is the page for the for the dirty cow vulnerable? Even they said they don't think the exploits deserve names, but people had done it before, so they did it too. <laughs> well, it does make it easier to talk about the vulnerability than uh, you know CVE two zero one six. So yeah, I mean we're still talking about shell shock, and that's you know that's, that's been point, a right. year or two ago. I don't even remember when that was. Now I thought I read somewhere that. They may have found this floating around in the wild. Did you see anything on that? Well, the, there was a proof of concept that, that was released when they created the page. There is now uh, some rumblings that there was a, there, there actually was an exploit embedded in, a, in some sort of an HTTP thing, you know, whether it was dropped via uh, drive-by or, or whatever. So I, there are rumblings that it's been seen in the wild. I haven't actually seen the the exploit. Um, you know, I haven't seen a PCAP showing that it was used in the wild. But there are some rumblings that since they released all of this, it may actually be out there in the wild now. Fantastic news. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a patch at least? Yeah. Uh, the, the, all of the current versions of the Linux kernel released after the 18th of October. So all of your Linux distros, you know, your Ubuntu, your Red Hat, your CentOS, your Fedora, if you're doing the, updating the packages regularly, you know, apply those, those updates. My Ubuntu uh, has actually done two kernel updates in the last week, and mm -hmm. one of those was this. So. Okay. But of course, we do know that Android and IoT are going to lag behind exactly. as they always do. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, another one of Brian's favorite things to harp on, you know, the lack of an automatic update infrastructure for these IoT devices, they may never get patched. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks for bringing that to us. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so let's go to the internet weather. Uh, we have the top 10 most probed ports. Uh, and it looks like there's no real surprises here. Well, maybe one. Uh, 23 TCP, which we know is Telnet, and 22 TCP, which we know is SSH, are the reigning kings and have been pretty much for the last half of a year to a year, I think. Uh, 2323 is an alternate port for Telnet, and we know that's strongly correlated with Mirai botnet activity. 443 is HTTPS, and 80 is HTTP. Again, very common ports to be scanned. Uh, 3389 is... Thank you. Remote desktop. Uh, 123 is NTP. That's 123 UDP, yep. 
445 is maybe perhaps some configure still going on. And or then other we, Windows file or other Windows file sharing stuff. activities. Yeah. Uh, and then 1433 is MS SQL. Yes. All right. Taking a closer look at port 23 TCP, you can see in the last week, week and a half, we have a significant uptick. Uh, this is a 30-day graph showing the number of scan flows on port 23. I personally, I don't have any theories as to why this happened, except perhaps that this growing interest in the Mirai botnet might be leading people to explore this space more, either to find compromised devices or to try and build their own botnets. Uh, but I think there's been a lot of attention paid to IoT in the last month, and rightfully so. So uh, you can see why there's activity there. Uh, scan sources on port 2323, which like we said before was Mirai. You can see a significant spike, uh, I would say about a week ago. And then the, what I don't, I don't want to call it the noise floor, but the baseline has definitely gone up a, a factor of several thousand uh, scan sources in the last week or so as well. So. Yeah, and if, if, that, if that graph had been longer than 30 days mm -hmm. prior to the middle of September, that noise floor is just a, a just the bottom blue line there. It's like a hundred, mm. and that you know the at the beginning of this graph, it's about four thousand, but it was like a hundred uh, <laughs> two months ago. So having this peak out at twenty-eight thousand last last week is is a pretty significant yep. jump. And then the most sources probing for the same week. Uh, 23 is no surprise at the top of the list. 2323 has gone up four places. So there are a lot of people out there looking for 2323. Maybe we can use that as an indicator of the Mirai botnet's growth or conversely interest in the Mirai botnet itself. Well, and with the, with the source code out there, folks can be building their own variants on it now too. That's very true. We know of at least one interesting variant. There was like a P2B one that I was reading about maybe last week. Yeah, but I'm sure there are going to be more modifications just the same way we see with any major malware source code uh, release. Uh, 445 holding mostly steady. A couple of ICMP type codes in there. Most of these have to do with uh, failures to resolve, um, although there is some ping in there. Um, 80, no surprises. We still have a significant amount of scanning on that. 22 TCP is SSH. I'm actually surprised it's that far down on the list, uh, but I guess it's just relative to the amount of traffic we're seeing for these other IT botnets. And then 21 TCP is FTP, which is kind of interesting, notable. There's only one major active command that I'm aware of that's using FTP, and that would be that um, photo.scr. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, there is a virus or something that's maybe spreading through FTP? It's, it's, a, um, it's a cryptocurrency miner. Cryptocurrency yeah, miner. Yeah, I think we're familiar with that one. All right. And that's the show for today. Thank you for joining us, especially to the new viewers that may have joined us from the AT&T Cybersecurity Conference. Welcome. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at attthreattrack at list.att.com. You can find AT&T Threat Track on the AT&T Tech Channel, uh, on YouTube, and also on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at attbusiness. So thank you, Jim, especially for making the trip all the way out here just to be on the couch with us. It is always <laughs> nice to be on the couch with you and not just be a disembodied voice. I bet that feels pretty good to not be a disembodied voice. Stan, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you for And Manny, me. thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I'm Matt Kaiser. We'll be back next week with another show. Um, until then, keep your network safe.
The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.